You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Here, and I sure am glad to be here as well. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians tonight once again, and we're continuing our verse by verse, and we have at times gone word for word, but we're going to get a little bit more back to verse to, by verse, uh, at least for tonight. And... Real important subject tonight, and as it has been, and we're going to follow a theme um, as we study. And tonight, I'm titling tonight's message, Inside Out Religion. Inside Out Religion. And so let's start reading there in Colossians chapter number 2, and we'll read verses 11 through 15. Colossians 2, 11 through 15. The Bible says, "...in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins... And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, Uh, And this word triumphing, I would encourage you to underline that word or highlight it, triumphing over them. Hopefully we'll get to that verse and be able to close there tonight. But as we remember that what what the, the church was dealing with is something that we still deal with today, and that is false teaching. False teaching is... Uh, I mean, from the very beginning, God said something to Adam and Eve in the garden. Right away, Satan come with a different message. And he didn't totally change the message, or he didn't totally give him a, a different message. He just changed the message that God had given. And that's kind of the way he, he continues to do, and that's what they were facing here in Colossians. And there were several elements that they were dealing with. There was Eastern mysticism, astrology, uh, bad philosophy, and Jewish legalism. And I just got to say that it's interesting today that Eastern mysticism is still something we deal with in our culture today. Uh, it is all in, uh, you know, pop culture, Hollywood, the media, and so forth. Eastern mysticism, astrology. Uh, remember, astronomy, good. Astrology, bad, right? Astronomy, good. Astrology, bad. Uh, and then philosophy and Jewish legalism. But it's more of the out, the, the latter of those that's being dealt with in the section that we've been dealing with. We talked about circumcision last week and, and how that, what, what it means to have be, be spiritually circumcised, so to speak, spiritually separated by the power of Christ and His cross from the power of the flesh and dependence on the flesh. But these false teachers were ob- ob- try- wanting to obey. Now, Gnostic legalism was different. Now, this is cool. I started studying more about the Gnostic legalism, so the false teaching that they were dealing with in Colossians. It was really interesting because when we think about what they were b- dealing with in Galatians, for instance, remember they, they were dealing with what was called the Judaizers. And they were called Judaizers because it was... Well, who, who were the Judaizers? What would have been their origin? Or what can you tell me about the Judaizers in the Bible? They were Jewish. I just heard Jewish. 
Uh, that came out like one of Ralph's answers on Bible trivia. And if, you, if you're wrong, it's okay because you whispered. Some of them, not everybody heard you, but that's right. They're Jewish. Uh, and so what's another hallmark of them? They're Jewish. That's important. And that's why they're Judaizers, a Judah. Uh, and, and the other thing is, is that it's, it's, it's legalism. It's Ju- Judaism, it was, I mean, or, uh, the Judaizers, they were basically saying, hey, it's fine that you're putting your faith in Christ. That's wonderful. But you still need to obey the law. You still need, you know, basically you have to convert to Judaism still. You, and you, to, be, to be a Christian. So you need Christ and Judaism. So, so we know that brand of uh, legalism still exists, not or legalism, not in the sense of converting to Judaism. We don't deal with that uh, much anymore. But there's people that say, oh, it's fine that you trust Christ, but you also need to be baptized. Uh, in, you know, quote-unquote baptized. Uh, you need to be baptized, and you need to be a part of this church, and, and you have these rites and rituals that you have to observe. Depending on what the, the church is, uh, you have to do good works. You have to give a certain amount of money. Uh, and that's legalism when you say it's, it's salvation plus our works. But now here was the interesting thing. So those were the Judaizers. That's not who Paul has having to deal with here in Colossians. Uh, this was fascinating to me. The Gnostic legalism, listen to this to see if, you've, see if this sounds familiar to, familiar to you at all. This would be a great discussion just to sit and have. But the Gnostic legalism said that the Jewish law would help the believers become more spiritual. If they were circumcised and if they watched their diets and observed holy days, that they would become part of the spiritual elite. So they did not, they they were not teaching that circumcision, keeping the law and keeping all of these things, keeping the ordinances. They were not teaching that, that that was a requirement to be saved. They were just saying, if you'll do these things, you'll be a lot more spiritual than the other people. Now, when I read that, I thought, well, that sounds awfully familiar uh, because we still deal with that brand of, if you want to call it legalism today. And as we're going to see here in just a moment, I'll try to emphasize this. But he's, the, the thing that he's trying to make clear here, that God through the Apostle Paul, is that the Christian is not subject in any way to the Old Testament legal system. We are not in any way under the Old Testament legal system, nor can the Old Testament legal system do us any good at all. See, Jesus Christ alone, and this is the message over and over again, Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for our every spiritual need. Every spiritual need we have, hallelujah, it's in Jesus. He is the fullness. Man, we have been made complete in him it's all about the lord jesus christ he is sufficient for every need he is god's fullness and we are in him and he's in us we are identified with christ because he's the head of the body colossians 1 18 and uh so i want to i want to look at four things that the bible talks about that he said would make it unnecessary to be involved in this brand of legalism uh, and why it would be uh, wrong to do so, sinful to do so. Now, just looking at these right away, I believe the main point of these first two verses here that talk about circumcision, we talked about that last week, we won't get into that too much, and baptism, is that there's a, trying to drive home the fact that inward reality is more important than any kind of outward right. Inward reality, 
That true spirituality is what God works in our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ, through what He accomplished on the cross. It's not about what we accomplish by means of the flesh. So in other words, it's more about inward growth than outward production. Now we understand clearly from the Word of God that as Christians we ought to be fruitful. We ought to live lives that are, that are different. And we ought to be grow, growing closer to Christ. But the point is, is we are, we are not doing what we're doing to become more spiritual. And that's where the problem comes in at. You know, I told you about this brand of uh, Gnosticism, this, um, this brand of legalism, I'm sorry, that said it's not required for salvation, but you need to add these things to yourself in order to be more spiritual and to be a part of the spiritual elite. So uh, th- there are things that, there are ways that we ought to live. I mean, as Christians, um, we make choices to try, to try to draw closer to God. We, draw, we make these choices, but the point of the matter is, we do this because of what God's doing in our hearts, not, tr- not to try to become more spiritual. And I started thinking about this. Is there anything that we can outwardly do that makes us more spiritual? What do we outwardly do that makes us more spiritual? And don't answer that. Just think about it a little bit. A little bit. What, do we, what can we outwardly do that makes us more spiritual? And outside of the argument of saying reading the Bible, because we're doing that outwardly, or praying, you could argue that we're doing that outwardly, but that's affecting what God's already done with us inwardly, because I believe the answer to that question would be nothing. Now, we may, because of what God's done in our heart, there may be a manifestation, we're doing what we're doing because, maybe we're doing what we're doing because we're spiritual, but we're not spiritual because of what we do. You know, I think about... So many uh, folks that I know really well, uh, they think kind of like, you know, I think about dress standards uh, in regards, and, and I, believe, I believe in a certain measure of dress standards. The Bible talks about women of ordain, uh, not ordaining, but uh, adorning themselves in modest apparel and so forth. I mean, I know there's, uh, the, the Bible speaks of these things to a certain extent, but there's some people who believe that their outward dress standards makes them spiritual. And they're kind of like these, these Gnostic legalists, because they're not saying that you've got to dress right in order to be saved. But guess what? If you're really spiritual, if, if you dress right, that's proof that you're really spiritual. Now, is that true? Uh, that's not true. Because one of the things that fascinate me, and you've seen it too, man, I've seen people that, I mean, I'm talking about outwardly now, they dress right, talk right, spit white, I mean, they just have it down pat. They've got, I mean, they've got a big Bible and they've got the whole thing mean as the devil. Gossips, arrogant, uh, cold-hearted. You just go right down the line. Uh, unforgiving, uh, judgmental, proud. Uh, and so that's just an example of that. But the one thing's for sure, it's not about the outward. There ought to be, our lives, we live an outward life, but it's got to start inward. So the outward should just be a manifestation of what's going on inward. Because if you think about it, if, if the decisions I'm making, and I am making some decisions on things I'm going to do in my, as a, in my life as a Christian, there's some places that I'm just going, I'm deciding as a Christian that I'm not going now, it doesn't make me more spiritual because I don't want to go see uh, or, or, or go see or even watch in my home or whatever. It doesn't make me more spiritual necessarily that, I, that I'm not going to watch a raunchy movie. Uh, 
That doesn't just say, oh man, he didn't watch a raunchy movie, that just made him spiritual. No, but if I'm trying to draw closer to God, I may say, you know what, I need to protect my mind, and I need to protect what's going in my eyes and what's going in my ears, so maybe I'm going to make a decision not to do that, but it's not the doing of it that makes a person spiritual, if you kind of get my drift. And it's, that's where I said this would be nice to sit down and have a discussion on this, because I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot that could be said about it to, to, to make clear what's... Uh, the Bible teaches about this. But let's just look quickly the, 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 the way he drives this home because the first thing he uses, we talked, about it, we talked about it last week, and that's circumcision. So it's an outward sign of God's covenant with Abraham. So again, he's saying it's not about the outward sign, it's about the heart. See, circumcision was a physical operation that had spiritual significance. The trouble was that Jewish people depended on the physical and not the spiritual. A mere physical operation could never convey spiritual grace. So there again, it's not about the outward. And then we could, we could go really broad. I mean, I appreciate Doria's broken heart over friends and loved ones that are, that are lost in, in religion. What's wrong with... One of the things that's... Bad, that, that the reason they're lost in that religion, their religion teaches them that it's about the outward. That it's about the outward. Do these things and you'll be spiritual. Do these things and you'll be accepted of God. But that's not the case. Man, listen, it's not about what we do. Out, what we do outwardly does not, is not what brings us approval in the sight of God. If you're not saved by God's grace, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And we're, we're sinners. We are, uh, our sin honestly makes us en the enemies of God Almighty. But Jesus Christ took our judgment on the cross, so the only way that we can be in a right relationship with God is not by religious beliefs or religious ritual or things we do. It's by putting our faith and trust in Christ. But it's this emphasis on the outward that so many people, most people we know, uh, get lost in. So, but, but the physical could never accomplish the spiritual. It doesn't matter what you eat or, or where you get baptized or where you attend or what you do. That's the emphasis there. Circumcision is one example of it. The next one is baptism. Now, in verse number 12, the Bible says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now, in this section, we've got to remember that baptism is is we, we know when i say baptism i think most of us in this room we think of somebody being immersed there could be some among us or some listening that they think of baptism and they imagine a baby being you know being baptized or you know which is isn't true but anyway they're getting water poured on their heads or sprinkled on a bit they, they think of that when i say baptism um by the way i i i, I, I was so amused one day years ago i had uh, was talking to a guy at, uh, at like Monday morning basketball years ago. And he just asked me after we played and everything, he said, well, how, how did, uh, how, how did, uh, uh, was your weekend? How did church go? I said, oh, I said, it was great. I said, we actually had a baptism, had a baptism on Sunday. And he asked me the question. He said, oh, he's, he said, did any of them pee on you? <laughs> and of course it just struck me there for a second. I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I said, so we don't baptize babies. Uh, I said, we baptize adults. So the answer to that question is hopefully no. Um, but, uh, but no, so for some people, you know, they, you, you get a certain picture. But uh, what, the, 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 what, what, that is baptism, but that's only a picture of baptism. 
Uh, see, years ago, guys, when you would buy a wallet, do guys carry wallets anymore? Um, all right, y'all carry a wallet. Do they still come with, like, pictures of a, of, of a woman or a family or people in there? They used to do that. I bet your wallet don't have a place for pictures because we don't have photographs. We don't, okay, there, we used to print out pictures and all this stuff. Yours does? Your, does yours? Uh, okay, not exactly. You got your place for your license. But ours, uh, you know, for us older folks, uh, there used to be this thing in wallets, and it was a little picture holder. And you'd, you'd have, like, uh, several pictures in there. So in order to, just in case somebody got the wallet and wasn't sure what in the world to do with that thing, they'd put a picture in there so you'd have an idea, this is what you do with it. Just hang with me. Sometimes there might be a picture of a pretty woman in that wallet. And so, uh, hang with me. Can you imagine a guy, and I know there's a, uh, there, there's a, there's a uh, famous movie that, uh, that a guy takes, basically he's, he, he had that picture come in his wallet, and he went around telling people that was his girlfriend. Here's my, you want to see my girlfriend, you know, here she is. Well, it's just a picture of a girlfriend. Any of you boys ever had imaginary girlfriends? Any of you men ever had imaginary girlfriends in your life? I bet there's some that have. Uh, Derek's trying to make sure Deidre's real. Um <laughs> It'd be sad if he really just thought that we were just playing along with him all the time. But yeah, but, uh, but imaginary girlfriend. Well, can you imagine ha- having just a picture in your pocket or now uh, having a picture on your phone and saying, and by the way, man, does this happen like crazy today? If I'd have been thinking, I could have come up with a lot better illustration than this. What about people that get catfished? You know, let me tell you something, boys. These, m- many of these pretty girls online is really just some overweight dude uh, a smelly dude in, in, their, in their mom's basement, okay? Uh, fronting with a picture of a girl. It's, it's a catfish kind of situation, all right? But the, the, what I'm trying to get around to is this. What's that got to do with baptism? Baptism is just a picture. And if you just think about, if we only think about water baptism, we think about baptism, that's the picture. You know, and even if it's a real picture, I can show a real picture of my wife and say, this is my wife. But what if that's all I was really into? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you could actually spend time with your wife. No, that's good. I got a picture here. I got a photograph. I'm good. Uh, I got a picture on my phone. Check it out. Uh, You want to go out and do something, honey? No, that's fine. I'll just look at your picture, you know. Uh, I get get along better with the picture or something, you know. Uh, Whatever. Picture don't talk back. Uh, Man, I'm getting in trouble with this. uh, All righty. Funny face. Uh, Baptism is a picture, and it's about that silly to go with a picture when really it's about a reality, and baptism is about a reality. So remember, baptism has a literal and a figurative meaning. The literal meaning, of course, means to immerse, but the figurative meaning is uh, to, to be identified with. The, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, that the Jewish nation was baptized unto Moses when they went through the Red Sea. Do you remember how wet the children of Israel got when they crossed the Red Sea? Not at all. They were totally dry. They were kicking up dust going across the Red Sea because God opened the waters. It wasn't about water. The children of Israel were identified with Moses. Um, And it's the same thing here. There's no amount of water that could take away sin. Water baptism by immersion is a spiritual of the experience of putting your faith. And and, and it's not just putting your faith in. It's putting your faith in the death, 
the burial and the resurrection of Christ, but it's literally saying I'm identified with that because the Bible literally teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, Him dying for your sins, the Bible teaches, it uses the terminology that you died with Him, that you were buried with Him, that you were risen again with Him. Matter of fact, it's crazy. If you actually look at the Greek words when it talks about being buried or, or baptized with him, buried with him, literally, it, it, it is co. It is co-died, co-buried, co-resurrected. I mean, it is that strong of a picture. So the moment, I did not realize this, did you? I did not know the moment that I got saved that not only did Jesus, I realized that Jesus died for me and rose again for me, but I didn't realize that I died in him and rose again in him. And I, I'll try to explain that more on another time, but I'm just simply saying that he died for us. He, it was all for us, and we are very involved in that. That's what baptism pictures. Baptism pictures the identification. Jesus died on the cross in my place. He was buried in my place. He rose again in my place. And, you know, the picture is given over and over again. I, I love the picture of, uh, of the scapegoat and, and different images and different other pictures that we have in the Old Testament of that, uh, you know, the, uh, the, there was a dead goat, there was a live goat. There was one that paid the price. There was one that was taken off into the wilderness. But it shows how that it was the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that it's because of that we are saved. And so that's, what, what, that's the baptism he's talking about here. Um, that when Jesus died, that's, that's the operation of God there. Colossians 2.12, that is the op, the, by, through the faith of the operation of God. It was the power of God that changed us, not the power of water. And I just want to say that again. Baptism is not salvation. Um, so if someone asks you, if I, if I ask you a question, and you know, when did you accept Christ? When did you get saved? Don't tell me about when you got baptized. I'm not interested in when you got baptized. When I'm interested in when you got baptized, I'll say, when did you get baptized? But if I'm asking you, when did you put your faith and trust in Christ? That's what I would like to know, because that's an important question. Water baptism is an important thing, but we get water baptized because we were spirit baptized in Christ when he died and rose again. Um, so, but again, the practical application is clear that since we're identified with Christ and he is the fullness of God, what more do we need? We, uh, I mean, uh, we have experienced the energy of God through faith in Christ. So why would we turn to the deadness of the law? So just quickly here, uh, it, it's not through circumcision. It's not through water baptism. It's through a spirit baptism. Notice this in verse number 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And aren't you glad that your sins have been forgiven? And here it talks about trespasses. You ever seen a sign, no trespassing? That means don't cross this line. Don't come on this property. Don't come on this porch. Whatever the case may be. Well, our trespasses was breaking the law of Almighty God. And he talks about that in verse number 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. See, not only did he 
Not only, did he, not only was our sins nailed to the cross, but also the law was, that was against us was nailed to the cross. The law is good, but do you remember the purpose of the Old Testament law, even the Ten Commandments for that matter? That's right. People that say, people that say I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments, well, that's all well and good. And, and the Ten Commandments are great to try to keep. Don't get me wrong, but there's a problem with it. The Ten Commandments, remember, at the heart of it, Jesus talked about it being at the heart, because he said if you've looked on a woman to lust after her, if you've committed adultery already in your heart, if you've hated your brother, you've commit, you're guilty of murder, he deals with the heart. Bottom line is, everybody has broken the law of God. Nobody can live up to the law of God. God did not give the law to be lived up to. And by the way, the Ten Commandments, did you know that was a covenant with, the, with Israel? It was a covenant with Israel. It was an agreement with Israel. They're the ones, that the nation of Israel are the ones that says all that the Lord has spoken we will do. However, the Bible says in Romans that that law is written in our hearts as well because that's God's holy standard. But here's the good news. No longer are we um, under that holy standard. No, no longer is God saying, okay, you live up to this or you're coming short. No. Why? Because now we're in Christ. So the law can't stand against me because I've been totally forgiven. Because now, because of our spirit baptism, because of the fact that we're in Christ, what sin is, guilty, is, is Jesus guilty of? What law has Jesus ever broken? Not a one. Not a one. Therefore, I'm in Him, and so the law cannot work against me. Now, this does not mean as God's people that we're lawless. This does not mean that we ought to go out and try to live contrary to the law of God. It's just simply saying that the law can no longer condemn us because we are in Christ. So we're free from the law. We're free from sin. And uh, then lastly tonight, we are victorious. And the Bible talks about the blotting of handwriting against us and our trespasses. The Lord Jesus canceled the debt. Uh, anybody ever had any debt? <laughs> That's kind of a funny question, isn't it? Or not so funny, depending on uh, your situation. But I do want to encourage the young folks, stay out of debt if all possible. And I understand there's situations, there's business owners and stuff like that that are saying, well, pastor, you know, and I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about, I'm, I'm talking about this, man. I saw, I saw at uh, Shields, been a couple years ago, it's when they, they, were, they, had, they were selling Yeti coolers or whatever. And I will just use this as an example. There might come a day where you just feel like, man, I really need a Yeti cooler. All right? I really need a Yeti cooler. So what they were doing at, at Shields, man, it was awfully nice of them. They were offering payments on this thing. Guess what? If you can't pay for it right now, you don't need it. All right? Uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're getting an apartment, you're buying a place. Oh, I need to go buy a bunch of new furniture. No, no, you need to call Grandma and see if she's got a couch in the basement. Amen? Uh, you need to ask around and see if there's somebody with old washer and dryer. I mean, don't go into debt. I mean, if you can't pay for it right now, you don't need it right now. You know, as a general rule. I mean, and I, know, I understand, you know, there, there's some art, but I'm saying with, some of the, with the, the way people start into debt, is usually some of these dumb things, and it's usually things that we just need to wait on, save on, till we can pay cash for. I'm talking about that because that's how God says our sin is. Every sin you've ever committed, anytime you've ever broken the law, and remember this, it's not just the things that we have done, it's also the things that we have failed to do. 
There, sin isn't just what we do. Sin is also what we should do that we don't do. All right? So all those sins come up against us. It's like a, it's a, it's a big old debt that we owe. <laughs> but praise God, you know what Jesus did? He wiped out that debt when we accepted Him as our Savior. Why? Because He paid a debt He did not owe, and we owed a debt that we could not pay. And isn't it foolish? Religion says, well, go get baptized, join the church, and that's going to take care of your sins. Oh, no, it won't. Man, that's, that's, like, that's like paying a minimum payment when you owe a million dollars in debt or something. It's like you're not doing anything. Um, but it's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the debt. And you know one of the most powerful things, and I'm going to try to bring this to a quick close here, but one of the powerful things about this and important things is... This outward religion, because I, I titled the message an, uh, an inward or an outward religion, or an inward religion versus an outward religion, because I'm just trying to think of the idea of people, number one, who are lost in religion. Because to me, most of the people we encounter seem to fall into one of two categories. Either people who are lost in their religion, or people that don't want anything to do with God because of religion. And in both cases, the religion I'm talking about is all this outward junk. These rites, these rituals. And there's something about these rites and rituals. There's something about religion. See, because once a person does start keeping these rites and rituals that are these outward things that are supposed to make you righteous in the eyes of God, guess what happens then? Now you can be proud. Now you can be proud uh, now you can, uh, by the way, let me tell you something else you're going to be. Now you can be hypocritical too. Because any of these preachers, any of these super spiritual people that are going around acting like they're not sinful and acting like they're not uh, people with flaws and that they're keeping the law and that they're somehow achieving this righteousness in the sight of God, I'm telling you, man, that's all a fraud. That's all a fraud. And you want to know something? A lot of people in the world can see that that's a big old fraud. I mean, they can see how big of a fake it is. So they're turned off by it. So what people need to see in you and I is a genuine, inward working of the power of God. And that, that leads us to verse number 15. This is kind of a cool thing. And we'll close with this one. The Bible says, Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Jesus not only dealt with sin and the law on the cross, but he also dealt with Satan on the cross. Speaking of, uh, of his crucifixion, Jesus said in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The death of Christ on the cross looked like a great victory for Satan, but it turned out to be the great defeat from which Satan will never recover. It's the, it's the fulfillment of the prophecy of G Genesis 3.15 when God said, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Amen. He, he's going to bust your head, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Man, I, I'm, I like that picture, don't you? I mean, Jesus busting his head, breaking his head. I mean, putting a hurting on Satan when he died on the cross. But he had three great victories that I'm just going to try to give you right here in this passage. Number one, the Bible says he spoiled principalities and powers. Spoiled there in this context carries the idea of being disarmed. See, he stripped Satan and his army of whatever weapons they held. You want to know something? Satan cannot harm. Satan cannot harm, cannot touch the believer who will not harm himself. 
There's two times that Satan can have any kind of access to our life. Or I should say only one time, really, and that's when God allows it. But God will allow it if we open up the door. You know, if we open up the door in disobedience, and I, and I, get, I just get amazed by people sometimes that walk in contradiction to what God's clearly told them to do, begin to experience the judgment of God for it, and then wonder why God, then get mad at God for judging them or allowing this stuff to happen in our lives. But the, but the point of the matter is this. Uh, you remember Satan uh, and Peter? Peter was able to get a hold of Satan because he ceased to watch and pray. But the great, great news is this. Satan, uh, I mean, Satan has, has no power over us. He has no power over us because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been, he's been spoiled. He's been uh, disarmed. Secondly, Jesus made a show of them openly. Uh, and this is cool. He exposes, he exposed Satan's deceit and vileness in his death and resurrection and ascension. Jesus Christ vindicated God and vanquished the devil. And then thirdly, leads up to the word that I told you to circle there, is found in victory. The victory that is found. In the word there, triumph. And I'm just going to give this last closing illustration. This is a, a beautiful word picture here. The Bible says that he triumphed over him. And as soon as he used this terminology, and I always like trying to point these things out because his readers would have got a vivid picture as soon as they read that word that Jesus triumphed. Because this, what this is referenced to is what's called the Roman triumph. And what that would be is when a great general would go off and maybe he'd be fighting one of the hated enemies of Rome and uh, he would defeat that enemy on the field and then what he would do, the Roman triumph would be, he would take them prisoners. And it, it, rather than killing them, he would take them prisoners just for the show of them openly. And he may take, that general may come into town, and as he's coming into town, the streets are lined. It's a big parade. It's the Roman triumph. And people are cheering because this dreaded enemy has been, has been defeated. And now the, the, the Roman conqueror comes in on his chariot, and the enemy is chained and shackled maybe to this man's chariot as he comes through the streets. The enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been embarrassed. That's the Roman triumph. And folks, I want you to know that when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose again the third day, he, he defeated Satan. He made a show of him openly and he's got the triumph. He's exposed Satan. And I'm telling you what, you say, well, preacher, is, isn't Satan still loose today? Well, no, he's on a chain. He's got some length on that chain. But I'm telling you, uh, there is a restriction to it. And there's coming a day, hallelujah, when Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. We are fighting a defeated enemy. We're fighting a defeated enemy because of what Jesus did on the cross. And matter of fact, Colossians 2.14 says this. This is the other time. There's one other time this, this phrase is used. The Bible says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. So the picture in Colossians is Jesus Christ is the conqueror with Satan defeated before him. And Satan's demons. But now he says, Thanks be to God who causes us to triumph 
You know what we are now? We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. So our lives can be lived in that context. Our lives can be lived with us marching, with us going on, with us showing what the, the victory that God's given in our lives. And we are so bad about focusing on our failures. And we've all got them. But here's the bad thing about focusing on our failures. That can come awfully self-centered when we do that. You know what we need to do every once in a while? We need to stop and take some time and remind ourselves that Jesus Christ has caused us to triumph. We need to think, man, there's some, there's some defeat. The things that used to defeat me, there's some enemies that I now got chained up. Amen? That God's given me the victory over. And yes, there's still some more enemies out there. And I'm still having some other battles. But I want to give God the glory for the triumph that he's given me in Jesus Christ. This is all a result of an inward religion, if you will. This is all the result of what took place in you the moment you got saved by the grace of God. Because everything you and I need is in Christ, including triumph, including victory. So therefore, we don't have to worry about the, the evil forces around us. God will give us grace. We need to be aware. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in spiritual conflict. You're in spiritual warfare on a constant basis. You have, you have been in spiritual warfare sitting in this service tonight. It's on. But here's the thing. God causes us to triumph. We can come in as victors, man. We can come in and, and, and be praising the Lord for giving us the victory. But what we do, if we're not careful, we'll give ourselves, well, you know, I don't want to brag. We need to start bragging. And we need to start boasting. Now, the whole point of what Paul's saying is not boasting and bragging on what we've done, but we need to start boasting and bragging on what Jesus has done all the time instead of talking about what we haven't done or how we failed. Why don't we just start talking about how good God is? Amen. Instead of talking about how bad we are, how bad circumstances are, we just need to start saying, you know what, man, I'm just old, dirty, rotten sinner, but man, God's done some good things in my life. And man, I'm still struggling, I'm still terrible sometimes, but man, you know what, I'm not where I used to be. God's given me victory over this, and, and yeah, I, I may have got defeated by it again this week, but guess what, He helped me to get victory over it again. He causes us to triumph, amen, and so... All that takes place because what he does in us inwardly. Amen? All right, let's all stand, please, and we'll be dismissed. I thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for your patience. Uh, man, let God, God, I'm telling you, remember the emphasis over and over again in Colossians throughout the New Testament, honestly, is that Christ 